this is the third week that we are um, talking about discipleship. We're going to be talking about discipleship for four weeks. Um, and I said at the beginning of this that I don't really have four, you know, a, a nice schematic for these teachings. It's just going to sort of be talking around discipleship. So it's not really a systematic treatment of discipleship. Um, the first week we talked about the cost of discipleship and how it does really cost everything. But when you, when you really understand and see Jesus for who he is, you, you realize that discipleship is worth everything. Uh, and, and enjoy, you sell everything that you have. Uh, last week we talked about, what did we talk about last week? It's really good. I guess all I remember is that it was good. Don't remember what it was. Man, I went away changed. Um, discipleship had one easy lesson. And I still forgot. And <laughs> one easy. See, that's the thing. Um, the disciples. <laughs> yeah, the disciples kept forgetting, even after just a week. Uh, no, it was discipleship in one easy lesson, and that was sort of an ironic title, uh, because the lesson is the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful people and be crucified, uh, and on the third day rise. And that was the lesson that, upon first hearing it, Peter rebukes Jesus to his face. And uh, their mind, his mind was in a different place. So we talked about the mind a lot last week and how the mind is a hindrance to really apprehending uh, the one easy lesson. It's not so easy because our minds are so far off, uh, so far off base from where Jesus is. Um, uh, so tonight I, I want to talk about more. Um, so the, the, the titles have get, been getting catchier. So this is, a, this is my, I'm excited to present the title tonight. Uh, last week was Discipleship in One Easy Lesson and this week is Who's your rabbi? <laughs> Who's your rabbi? All right. Okay. I didn't get the response that I was looking for. But we'll stay with it. We'll stick with it. Who's your rabbi? Obviously, rabbi is... Uh, actually, the book of John tells us what rabbi means. I mean, it actually defines it in Scripture. It says, being translated, which means teacher in the book of John. Uh, the, with the disciples, they approach Jesus and call him rabbi. And so this wasn't a special title for Jesus. This was just teacher, right? The Pharisees, a lot, they had disciples. John had disciples. Jesus had disciples. Being a disciple was, was a thing, right? It was something that was understood. Um, when we talk about discipleship, it's sort of exclusively used in the church, right? Discipleship. But you could basically just say student, and everyone would kind of grasp what you're saying. Student slash apprentice, Right, because it wasn't just going to a classroom. Um, it was life on life. It was being with a person in order to become like them. So apprentice, student, that's what's wrapped up in this word uh, disciple. But the other end of that, on the teacher side, that's, that would be the rabbi, the teacher. Okay? That was who disciples you. And that's who you place yourself in their presence and follow them around and listen to them and do what they say and in doing so you become more like them that is the process of discipleship so in a lot of ways we have an inherent weakness when the bible talks about 
discipleship, and it uses that language because we don't really have so so good of a clear correlation to that in our in our modern world. Um, I I do think one of the reasons and this is one of my main points tonight that 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 was a such a well understood idea that that's how Jesus chose to go about explaining the kind of relationship that he wanted with his people. You know, it's like a a disciple. Right? If you want to be my disciple, I'm looking for disciples. And you know what? The work of the church needs to be go and make disciples. Okay? So, um, the biblical, I want, to talk, I want to talk about kind of two big points. One, uh, that the biblical idea of discipleship is much broader than just the disciple-rabbi relationship. Okay? That is a cultural picture of what God has always been wanting with his people. Okay? And I want to look through scripture and see scriptures that, that um, would indicate that that's just a picture. It's just a word picture. Right? Discipleship is not the eternal truth of how God wants to relate with his people. It's something that existed and God filled it with meaning. And then I want to I want to talk about. All right. So who is uh, who is our, our teacher? Who, do, who, who does teach us? Um, so first thing I want to do. Is go through some of the Old Testament scriptures to kind of broaden our picture of what discipleship is is what it's aiming at um, we can do all the studying we want of first century israel and what a disciple and what what the jewish educational system looked like we can do that but i think at best what we're going to get is a really good picture of discipleship which itself is just a picture of what god really wants and what he's really after does that make sense so i want to go back into the old testament and see what's the picture that discipleship re- represents for us um, that, that Jesus uses to help us understand the kind of relationship that he wants with us. Um, so, I mean, if you can just, you can start in Genesis and you can see what God was doing there. He, he created a world and it was a good world and he placed man in the middle of the world to, to work it, to, to uh, take dominion, to, to exercise stewardship. And it was always meant to be in conjunction with him. And he placed two trees in the garden. And this is, I think, very important to understand. That one was the tree of life. And the other, one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's always important to, to, to remember that it wasn't the good tree and the bad tree. <laughs> it was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's very important because the tree of life, I would say, is the first picture we get of how God wants to relate to his people. You can obey my commands, and in doing so, you have life. Eat of that tree. Listen to my words, don't eat of that tree, which represents going through life and and evaluating life on your own basis, whatever basis you choose. Evaluating good and bad apart from God. I'm the creator. I want to walk with you. And so we get some some amazing pictures of the way God related with Adam in the garden. And they're just little glimpses. But they they give us a good picture of what Jesus would eventually call discipleship. Okay? Uh, The first one is in chapter 2. It says... um, 
A river flowed out of Eden, verse 10, to water the garden that they're divided. Uh, that's not the word I want. Uh, let's see. 19. Now out of the ground, God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So you see this partnership between God and man in steward and creation. The task at hand happens to be naming everything, which is kind of the first thing you have to do, right? Any scientists know you, you, you have to classify things. You have to name them. You have to figure out what is it. And that's what they're doing. They're getting started, very base level, stewardship of the earth. And here God and man are doing it together. Later we see after Adam and Eve uh, fall away after they rebel and, and disobey and eat of the fruit at the, at the temptation of the serpent. It says that God came down and he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. God was walking among the earth and he came looking for man. And so we can see there that there was a, there was a sweet fellowship, a, sweet, a, a, a relationship that God had it was, a, it was a free-flowing relationship that God had with man as man went about uh, doing his God-given work. And God was there, and God was involved, and man was relating with God in that. And he, came, he comes down in the cool of the day, and after they fall, in one of the most tragic lines in the Bible, the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. All right, and that, that Life, then, that, that flow of life between God and man in stewarding the earth is, is broken. Okay? So that's kind of the first glimpse we see of the kind of relationship that God wants with us. He, he wants us to do a specific work. And he wants to be involved with us, resourcing and aiding us and giving us wisdom to do that work. Right? I'm sure man was to learn a lot about the way things worked just on the job. What do you want to call this one? Look what it does, you know, and, and let's, let's learn about all these amazing creatures that I've made. So you see God and man, God and Adam working together. Um, another big figure in the Old Testament, I mean, the, the man of God, the man of faith in the Old Testament is, is Abraham. He's the father of the, the people of Israel. He's the one that God enters into covenant with. Um, to start a family, to, to build a nation, to begin to, to redeem the world. And in uh, Genesis 17, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me. So that, that language, walk, it just means do it all. Do everything before me, with me. In conjunction with me. Walk before me and be blameless. That's the partnership. That's the relationship that God wanted to enter into with Abraham. Okay? Walk before me and be blameless. That I may make a covenant between me and you. And may multiply you greatly. Okay? This sounds a lot like what it means. What it looks like in the New Testament. To become a disciple of Jesus. To then be fruitful and multiply. And go and make disciples. Walk with me. And I will multiply you. Um, fast forwarding in the story, after the exodus, after the wandering in the wilderness, which we 
we're right in the middle of in our trip through Scripture, um, God's trying to un- get them to understand. First of all, he's giving them laws, right, that address every area of life. He's trying to get back to the place where they are approaching life and making choices based in his word and based in his heart rather than based in either the culture around them or just what they think is right. And so God is having to try and reform their consciousness as a nation to include him as God and to, to, to treat his commands not just as, as rules but as the very words that spoke the world into existence. If we do this, we are getting back to what we were created for. Okay, And we've talked about that some as we've, as we've gone. But here in Deuteronomy 8, um, Moses is sort of summing up the lessons that God has been teaching his people. This is one of the best, most insightful chapters, I think, in the Old Testament. Um, so at this point, God get, begins to give them commands, right? Which you could also say he's just teaching them life. Okay, The law of God are the words of a rabbi to a student, to a disciple. Here's how you live life. Here's how you structure society. Here's how you do this aspect of life and this aspect of life. The whole commandment, Deuteronomy 8, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What's he trying to teach them? Live life in relationship with me. And as you hear from me and fellowship with me, you'll understand what to do. What to do here, what to do there. How to be the person I've created you to be. You don't live by bread alone. Your very life, your very food is my word, my will. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs. And he he goes on to describe the, the promised land. So what's he saying? I want you to understand the kind of relationship I have with you. I've been trying this whole time to get you to understand that you don't, you don't live by bread, which was the constant problem. They got hungry and they complained. Well, it's better. Let's go back to Egypt because there's bread there. There's food there. <laughs> He's saying, when are you going to learn that you were created for way more than bread? That salvation doesn't mean now you get fed. My deliverance and my salvation in your life means now we can once again have this relationship where you truly understand who you are and you can live in response to my heart, my commandments and know how to live life. Um, this is all through scripture. I mean, this is, this is the big theme of the Old Testament. Um, it's in Psalms. 
Right? You can read Psalm 119 and you can hear this, this idea echoed. So you know Psalm 119. It's the, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's the one about the Word of God, the commandments of God. All right? I'll just read the first little section. In, in, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. When I get discipled, (laughs) that's what he's saying. When I figure out what it is that you are commanding me to do, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. All right? Um, You see this echoed in the wisdom literature, the Proverbs. There's Proverbs. Proverbs 14 12 is great, great scripture. I'm going to go, sorry, Proverbs 3. Where am I? Proverbs is after Psalms. Who knew? Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching. Anytime you hear teach, learn, study, obey, this this can all be considered discipleship language. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. You'll live life the way it's supposed to be. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Um, So there's this idea that God wants to be the source of learning about life. Learning about all of life. Learning about the person. Learning about all of the person. God desires to be the source of that. Why? Because he created it. He created life. He created the human person. He knows every aspect of it. And he, we were created to live in fellowship with God. There's, a, there's a, a grief on God's heart from all, all through Scripture. Just as much as you see it, that it's his heart to, to be that, to, to, to live in a relationship with the people like that. You can see all through the Old Testament and, well, all through the New Testament too. The grief on God's heart when people don't come to him for that. When people go to different sources for learning about life or for help or for advice or for instruction. Um, since we're in Proverbs, I'll go to Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And this is the whole problem. There's a way that seems right to man. They haven't learned it from God. Its path is destruction. 
Isaiah 30. This is a prophetic, a prophetic lament, or really a prophetic uh, mourning. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine. Who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Who set out to go down to Egypt without asking my direction. To take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh. To seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame. And the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For thus says the Lord. Um, oh, nope. For though his officials are at Zoan, his, his envoys and his envoys reach uh, Hannes. Everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. Okay. They go to Egypt for help. <laughs> and God is saying, why? Why would you go to Egypt for help? What did they know about life? What did they know about living that, that I don't? So you get to the New Testament, and Jesus says, he, he appears and he preaches, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what's he saying? He's saying, you are now able to enter the kind of life that God always wanted. Let's turn around. Let's turn from living your own way. You can now enter. The, and he calls people then to himself to learn. So in Matthew 5, we get a great, we get the Sermon on the Mount. And just listen how it, how it opens up. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then he, he proceeds to basically explain, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is, is incredible. It, it, everyone in their life should do an extended study on the Sermon on the Mount, maybe multiple times. Um, it addresses both all of life, and all of the person. Meaning everything that you'll do. And also everything that you are. So not just your body. It addresses your body. It talks about your body. It also talks about your emotions. It talks about your soul. It talks about your will. It talks about your heart. Every part of you. However you want to break it down. And philosophers are always debating about this stuff. But whatever the components of you there are, <laughs> body, soul, spirit, however you want to break it down, Jesus addresses all of that in the Sermon on the Mount. He addresses all of life and all of the person. Jesus has the words of God. He is God made flesh. And so he has something to say about every aspect of life. And so when Jesus was calling disciples to himself, what he was doing was calling mankind back to that kind of relationship with God that they were created to have. Okay, he wasn't just doing some sort of cool new church strategy called discipleship. He was calling man to what God has always been calling man to. Deep fellowship with him. Obedience. Trust. 
And from that, life and stewardship and multiplication and fruit. That's what it is. That's what discipleship is. And when he, at the end of Matthew, when he gives the Great Commission, he tasks his disciples with the work of discipleship. Go and make disciples of all people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. This is a whole life program. You need to enter into life. And what salvation is, is entrance into Jesus' school of living. Okay? And the problem is, we get so excited that we've entered the school that we forget to go to class sometimes. And people just stay in that, yeah, but I'm, I'm at school. <laughs> well, go to, go to school. <laughs> go to class. Learn. Progress. Grow. But it has to do with teaching and learning. And we live in a time that's described in 2 Timothy 4. This is the time that we live in. It was true then to Paul and Timothy. It's it's still true today for sure. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is Paul speaking to his disciple, Timothy, who is judge in the living of the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Make disciples, he's saying. Teach. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. The time is coming. Let me say it again. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is true today, and it was true back then because it's always been true. Ever since Eve wandered off into that, whatever myth the serpent was speaking to her. Okay? So here's here's the the next big point. First big point, this is what God has always been looking for. Discipleship isn't a new thing. This is what God has always wanted with his people. It's why he created mankind. The second big point is this. That it's not optional. You are being taught. You are being trained. Okay? And that's why the the name of the servant is, Who is your rabbi? Because you have a rabbi, or probably multiple rabbis, teachers. All right? Listen to this quote. This is an awesome quote from the book that I've been uh, touting a lot these days, The, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Yeah, try and stick with this. It's, it's, it's dense, um, but it's awesome. All right? We settle back into de facto alienation of our religion from 
Jesus as a friend and teacher. And from our moment-to-moment existence as a holy calling or appointment with God. Some will substitute ritual behavior for divine vitality and personal integrity. Others may be content with an isolated string of experiences rather than the transformation of character. So what he's saying is there's a problem where we don't really connect anything that's preached in church with the way that we actually live. There's this alienation from whatever gospel there is to my daily life. Right at the heart of this alienation lies the absence of Jesus the teacher from our lives. Strangely, we seem prepared to learn how to live from almost anyone but him. We are ready to believe that the latest studies have more to teach us about love and sex than he does. And here it's going to get a little dated. He's going to throw out sort of the, the top voices of, of the mid-90s, I think, is when this was written. Um, and, that, uh, and that Louis Ruckheiser knows more about finances, who was, I guess, sort of a talking head star financial analyst. Dear Abby can teach us more about how to get along with our family members and co-workers. And Carl Sagan is a better authority on the cosmos. Now, you can go in and plug in whatever names you want there. You know, uh, pick whatever, whatever blog that you read or whoever tweets what, this, that, and the other. But here's, here's the big point, all right? And I want you to hear this, because I think this is very, very important for us to be able to, to, to ask ourselves. Where we spontaneously look for information on how to live shows how we truly feel and who we really have confidence in. Where we spontaneously look for information on how to live, and I don't just mean religiously. I mean about anything. Okay? How to dress. How to, uh, how to con- conduct yourself on, on the job. How to go to an interview. <laughs> right? Have you stopped to think that you could probably learn some things from Jesus about going into a job interview? <laughs> yep. Well, good for you. Um, nothing more forcibly demonstrates the extent to which we automatically assume the irrelevance of Jesus as teacher for our real lives. Where do we go for information? And I think, you know, I think you would have a lot more to say about this if you wrote in the Twitter, Google era. Right? Because something's wrong. Let me Google it. I don't know an answer to something. Let me Google it. It's instant Tell me, and then whatever algorithm spits out. So it's not even like people anymore. It's just algorithms. Tell us how to live. Or news feeds. Right? We, we, we really do live our lives in a lot of ways. And I've been convicted on this myself. We do live our lives in a lot of ways based on just the information that comes to us. Right? So the question is, who is your teacher? 
And I think it's very important that we, that we ask ourselves, you could go through the Sermon on the Mount and look at every area of life that it covers, because it's pretty much every area. Relationships. Uh, food. Clothing. Um, morality. Uh, even some, some issues having to do with justice and, and uh, rights. Okay? Where do we go for information on that? Where do we spontaneously turn? Why do you dress the way you do? Somebody taught you how to dress. Who was it? Why do you eat the way you do? Somebody taught you how to eat. Who was it? And so in the question, who is your rabbi, this is, what, this is what we should be asking ourselves. Because the idea is, if we are true disciples of Jesus, we're asking him all those questions. And we're searching the scriptures to find the answers. And we're waiting on him. And we're doing everything in the fear of him, meaning the reverence, the, the yielding, the openness to his input. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To learn, to, to go to him first. Now he may say, oh, whatever you want. <laughs> you know, make a decision. He may say, don't do it this way, do it this way. But the point about a disciple is, he's the one. He is the, he is the teacher. We are learning everything about life and everything about us as a person from him. How do we handle emotions? How do we handle hurt? Jesus is the counselor. Let's go and ask him, and let's do it the way that he tells us. Okay? And we, as we do so, we will enter into life as it was always created to live. And we will be doing that thing. We'll be living the kind of relationship with God that he always has desired through all of Scripture. Come, listen, do it my way. Obey. And don't, don't worry about what you see. <laughs> don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Come and learn and obey and trust and see what happens. All right? So that's the, that's the question. Who is your rabbi? Who is it that you spontaneously go to for information on fill in the blank about your life? Now, this is a good question, too, because sometimes we, didn't, we don't realize who has taught us. And we need to ask ourselves, who, who taught me? Sometimes it's just advertising or good marketing taught me that this is what I'm going to eat today. <laughs> we should ask that question too. Was I just told, was I just manipulated and kind of coerced into doing this? Was it just this, the default <laughs> that I stumble upon this? So, um, yeah, every aspect of our lives. And so... Um, that's the question. Um, I, I, I want to ask us to, um, this week, I haven't really given any reading assignments other than some suggestions. And maybe I'll just leave this as a suggestion. But at this point, I do think it would be good for us to go through the Sermon on the Mount, to read through it. Um, and look at what kinds of stones it, it overturns in your life. And let it let it examine you. Um, and even if it's not directly related to your life, 
it makes you ask a question about a, about a particular area of your life. All right? And so see if you realize anything about yourself this week um, where Jesus really isn't your teacher. You really haven't asked him for whatever reason. Or maybe you've asked him. You didn't really like the answer. And so you wandered off into something else, as Timothy says. You couldn't endure sound teaching. Your ears were itching and you wanted to go some, to hear something that you wanted to hear. So one or two things can happen. You can wander off into a myth because you don't like what you hear. Or you can just not realize and the world around you conforms it into its image. Either, either thing needs to be addressed by becoming true disciples. Where we don't let the world just push us into something. And we don't let our own flesh say, no, I want to do it this way. But we bring all of that to the feet of Jesus and say, teach me, Rabbi. Would you teach me? Teach me how to live. Teach me how to dress. Teach me how to eat. Teach me how to carry myself. Teach me how to enter a room. (laughs) Scripture can teach you how to relate to people. All right? And so this is good news. That the kingdom, we can be citizens of the kingdom. We can live the kingdom way. Because it's here, it's at hand. And we can see it and know it. Amen? So, uh, the weekly symbol that we, uh, that we partake of is, is his body and his blood. And we, what do we do? We consume it. We, we receive it into our own life. Right? And this isn't, we don't come up and kiss a list of rules. And say, these are good rules. Thank you for these rules. Because that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to fill us with life. To fill us with himself. So as we come to the table, let's acknowledge that. That we are receiving into ourselves the very life of Jesus. His very presence within us. And that really is the teacher. Right? Um, another place in, in the prophets, it says... No one's going to teach each other in the, in the last days. We're not going to be teach, you're not going to teach your brother saying, hey, no God, no God, because they'll all be taught by God. What a picture of discipleship. We're all here as disciples of Jesus being taught by God himself. And the cool thing about that is the way that God teaches is that he fills you with his very life. It's written on our hearts. He doesn't give us a list of rules. He writes it on our hearts. He can teach your whole person. Not just your mind. Not just your body. Not just your emotions. But he can take all of you and teach you how to be a person in the image of God. Amen? So let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts to come to the table. And receive the body and blood of Jesus, our rabbi.